Football is back and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day and with the Bet365 Bet Builder you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Each week we delve deep into the big issues affecting the Blues in the company of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. It's all smiles and rainbows this week as we look back on the significant successes against the cities of Manchester and Leicester. We'll also preview the midweek trip to West Ham, the weekend game with Watford and answer your questions. That's all to come on this episode of Straight Outta Cobham. Yes, hello listener, how are you doing? Life's better with football, isn't it, isn't it? Even this low-wattage new world football. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Each week I'm joined by the three men who wrote the book, well, the articles on Chelsea. Uh, let's welcome them in, shall we? Hello, Liam Toomey. Hello. I think I've written a book's worth of words since joining the Athletic. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> Come in, Dominic Fifield. Hey, how are you doing? Very well. And good day to you, Simon Johnson. Hi. Hi. Snappy intros this week. We've got a lot to talk about, you see. Uh, first on today's agenda, let's get a semi on. What? What? So, on Sunday, Chelsea booked their place in the FA Cup semi-finals for the 10th time in 19 years. No other club can match that recent record. Ross Barkley's goal midway through the second half proved the difference, or was it that triple substitution at half-time, maybe? Uh, we saw a different side to Frank Lampard here. Questioning from Kevin via Twitter. He says, Been thoroughly impressed with Lampard's in-game management since the restart. Villa, City, Leicester all had notable improvements for Chelsea after a drinks break earful. Has Lamps always been like this or are the breaks allowing him to have a greater effect on games uh, you looked at Lampard the manager and his psyche for the athletic last week Simon what do you think is is this something that he's, he's used to his advantage that the water breaks yeah I don't think he's the only manager to do that um, but what is what has been noticeable is uh, as the question intimates that He's getting the most out of them. Like It's all very well having the opportunity to talk to the players. Do they actually respond to what you're saying? And and there's no doubt about it. Um, Frank is getting the players to do what he wants better, funnily enough, after he's talking to them. Why they can't seem to do it from the outset, that, that's perhaps something he'll want to uh, improve on or, or certainly get them to improve on. But I think the Manchester City game was, was the, the best example so far because Chelsea were outplayed in the first half of each halves and and noticeably improved pretty much right from the kickoff from the restart after the drinks break and you have to give Frank Lampard an awful lot of credit for that it does seem that he's maturing as each game goes by as a manager if we look at Leicester on on Sunday Liam six changes for for that game does does that go some way to explaining that first half performance which was pretty wretched yeah, I think you have to look at the disjointedness as a direct result of 
trying to rotate. And we know Lampard does have to rotate. There are a lot of games in a short space of time and you've come from a prolonged break to suddenly a really crowded schedule. So all managers are having to make these tough decisions. Um, but it, it clearly did affect Chelsea in the first half. But some some days as well, you just don't have it as a team. And you could see from minute one pretty much that that Chelsea didn't have the intensity that Leicester were bringing to that game. And they were very lucky to get to half-time without conceding. And I think you saw from Rhys James the same rustiness that he showed when he came on against Aston Villa and had that very inauspicious cameo, um, just getting caught on the ball, making bad decisions. Billy Gilmore, I, th- I felt, maybe looked slightly less comfortable playing further forward in front of N'Golo Kante. Obviously, the passing angles are very different. The angles at which players come to press you is very different. And I think he, he misplaced his first couple of passes. And from that point, he was he never really got into any kind of rhythm. And he's going to have days like that. But uh, I think it was important for Lampard that once they'd had that first drinks break and he hadn't seen the response he was looking for, that he had to take big action at half-time. And of course, having the five substitutes means you can do that. You can make three subs and still have a couple in the bag if you need to do something later in the game. Don, what was your reaction when you saw that there were three subs coming on at half-time and that it was three of the, the academy boys who were being taken off? It was a big call. It was the correct call, given how disjointed they'd been up to then. Um, my reaction... Well, look... To be honest, it, it just made me realise how this five substitutes rule is going to benefit the bigger clubs. I mean, to think that they can bring on three internationals and and good international players at half time, and still have you know the options to bring on Pedro and Loftus Cheek later on in the match before ninety minutes were up, it's frightening really. And there's I don't know how teams outside the elite can possibly cope with that. Or com, you know, con, contend against that. To be honest, and I know there was a bit of oppos- opposition amongst certain clubs when the idea of of five substitutions was was mooted during lockdown. And the logic behind it is very, very clear. I mean, obviously, we, we want to give these all the players, uh, whether you're in a threadbare squad or a burgeoning squad, the opportunity to to get through these games without picking up injuries. Uh, and in the state of fitness, everybody resumed football in. Um, but the longer this goes on, it's just going to be the top five, six teams. And I don't really in- include Leicester in that, to be honest. It's just going to be the, those those squads that have got, sorry, those clubs that have got deeper squads that are going to benefit. And Lampard used that brilliantly on Sunday and he will continue to use that, I would imagine, for the rest of this season. So one of those three subs who came on at halftime proved to be the match winner in Ross Barkley. Uh, Manny's been in touch via Twitter. He asks, after a good run of performances lately, does Ross Barkley have a long-term future at Chelsea? Uh, Simon, it's something we've, we've debated before on this pod and we thought that maybe he'd be one of the players whose future was in doubt over the close season. But he's doing all that he can to show that he belongs at Chelsea for the foreseeable. Uh, yes and no, in the sense that um, look, he he was the match winner, um, and it was a great, almost trademark Frank Lampard kind of goal, and and Lampard did speak very highly of him afterwards. But then again, we also saw why Chelsea might sort of get frustrated with him, and certainly Chelsea fans might get frustrated with him with with some of his decision making afterwards. Um, there were quite a few counter attacking opportunities which. He had the ball at his feet and didn't make the most of it. 
But I, I, I would sort of take some encouragement from what Frank Lampard said. He was, he was very, very glowing in his praise. The fact he started against Manchester City, I think, was perhaps the most significant selection um, for a while, given that there were so many fit players available and it was such a big game. Um, it was a different kind of role for him too. It was clearly not going to get the ball at his feet as much and perhaps he wasn't effective going forward, but he certainly put a lot of effort in. And I just think that... That is a that is a strong bit of backing from Frank Lampard uh, to pick him in a game like that. Mm. I, I spoke to Ross after the game for for Chelsea TV, and he made a really interesting point about how he found it much easier to come into the game having sat up in the stands watching it as a as a socially distant sub because he could get a better read for for what was going on than you can at pitch level. I, I, I like that, Liam, because we don't often hear much positive about about football in in this new world, and that's something that that is obviously a benefit. And it's good to see players sort of paying that level of attention to to things like that. Yeah, definitely. I don't think all substitutes do that. So it's encouraging to hear, encouraging for Chelsea to hear that Barkley really watches the game on that level. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was famous, wasn't he, for for really analysing the game from the bench and, and it made him such a devastating impact sub for Manchester United. Um, I've never really understood why more managers or coaches don't sit higher up because especially where we are at Stamford Bridge, the press box location is is very low. Um, it's almost pitch level. It's only a few rows behind the dugout. And if you're doing any sort of tactical piece, it's very, very difficult to see the broader trends of the way the game is going. It's it's great for colour and hearing what's happening on the benches and, and things like that, but not, not so good for how the game is actually working. And uh, I think it was um, Nigel Pearson, wasn't it? Did it a little bit at Leicester? I think when they first came in, Sam Allardyce did it quite often, didn't he? Sam Allardyce, another one. I, I, I've never really understood why more managers don't. He's been doing it. It hasn't really worked for him yet. But <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah mi- mixed results depending on um, who you're managing or playing for. Right, we've had lots of questions. Uh, Clayton, John, Darmesh, and Chris all on about Jorginho. Hasn't kicked a ball since the restart. Billy Gilmore selected ahead of him on Sunday. Uh, again, another player. Dom, whose future we, we've spoken about on, on recent episodes, we all kind of thought that he's happy to stay, Frank's happy to have him. Maybe we got it wrong. Possibly. Um, we should probably bear in mind that he he has his, his suspension probably didn't serve him uh, or didn't didn't help his cause of getting back in. I mean, he, he, he had to sit out the first game because he was still suffering the, the, I think the two-match ban for the accumulation of yellow cards. Um, he's also suspended for the second leg in Munich, isn't he? When whenever that is played, some point next month. Uh, I, I, I guess the fact that Lampard is is trying more to incorporate Conte as this uh, defensive, the deepest lying defend uh, defensive midfielder, um, probably does have implications on 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 Jorginho. Clearly, Lampard likes the energy that. Conte brings to that role and that Jorginho doesn't not in the same way it's not a muscular energy I guess it's more sort of subtle use of the ball with Jorginho and maybe maybe Lampard just just feels that this is the way this team is is better suited to progress um he also might might look at Jorginho as one of those players that he might be able to raise some funds by by selling in in the summer there's going to have to be some kind of element of 
of seeking to balance the books somehow um, moving forward. And that, that, that match may have implications for Ross Barkley as well, because there's a player that Chelsea can make a profit on potentially with a sale. Um, so a few things coming into Lampard thinking, like, I'm sure Jorginho will get games. They've got so many matches coming up. Um, it's it's inconceivable that Jorginho won't be sitting in in that defensive midfield slot at some stage in the in the weeks ahead, and he's he's still one of the most vocal members of the bench and and still urging the the players on, and I suspect he's he's still just as active in in training as well. So I I, I, I suspect that he will have a a role to play over the rest of this season, um, and we'll have to see what happens, what interest materialises in him in the small transfer window that follows. Yeah, Don mentioned uh, Angelo Kante briefly there. L- Liam, you've written about what his best position is for the Athletic. It- it's interesting that-, that Frank doesn't seem to have settled on one for him yet. Yeah, his thinking has changed. I remember Lampard being asked at his unveiling if he knew what, what Kante's best position was and he just kind of laughed and said he did without elaborating. And for much of this season, it's transpired that he's thought about Kante very similar to the way Maurizio Sarri did, which is kind of on the right of a three, more box-to-box, very much a number eight, giving him the opportunity to to run around and kind of seek and destroy, um, but also kind of spread his wings with the ball at his feet and, and have a bit more attacking responsibility. But since the restart, he has actually moved him into the Makaleli role. And the the gist of the piece that I wrote for The Athletic was kind of looking at the the various benefits and drawbacks of having him in that position against different types of teams. So against Villa, I think there were times when Kante's presence there slightly hindered Chelsea in possession because he's not the most expansive, imaginative passer. His first instinct is to try and play a bit more of a safe ball. But against City, those instincts were absolutely perfect because every completed pass is a victory. <laughs> every every pass where you don't give the ball away is is a great thing. And, and he was also fantastic defensively in that game and made several result-altering interventions. So I think it's an interesting trend to, to watch going forward. And as Dom said, it will have a big, big ripple effect elsewhere in, in the midfield ranks. If you read your, your tactical analysis, by the way, I, I heartily endorse that that piece by Liam on Angolo Kante. And you can now sign up to The Athletic and enjoy a 30-day free trial to see what all the fuss is about. Enjoy the best football writing and ad-free podcast right up until the end of the Premier League season. Just visit theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. That's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. And now before we move on from the FA Cup, we know it's going to be Manchester United in the semis, a Solskjaer Lampard's nemesis this season. Simon, what do you think that, that Frank needs to do differently than he has in, in the three previous meetings between the sides this season, all of which have been won by United? Well, for starters, defend better, <laughs> um, particularly from set pieces, which is a bit worrying given the way they've defended set pieces uh, since the restart. It's continued to be a major thorn in their side. Um, I mean, the first game, funnily enough, is was arguably their their best performance against United, even though they lost 4-0. They, they actually played quite well as an attacking unit that day and, and just lost it um, at the back. Um, but I, I think that the biggest thing for Chelsea here is the psychological barrier um, because they have lost to United three times this season. Plus, it was the same team that knocked them out of the FA Cup last year. So it, it does feel like a little bit of an inferiority complex developing a bit like how Chelsea have been with Manchester City, which 
obviously they they managed to end that run on Thursday but I I do think that's a huge barrier that they've got to go out and master and and sort of take the attack to them it's not going to be easy because you know Fernandez is going to be a, a a real worry dictating midfield Pogba seems to be starting to find his feet as well combining with him but I I do worry about Chelsea at set pieces that the, the image of Harry Maguire out jumping Rudiger still lives long in the memory and, and I can't see how that's going to improve the way they're playing 18th and 19th of July for for the FA Cup semis. Um, just finally, Dom, why are they playing the FA Cup semi-finals at Wembley this year when there's going to be nobody to see it? You can kind of make the case for the final, or even even though that that would be difficult to make if it's an all Manchester one. But it seems ridiculous to to be playing it at Wembley. I mean, you could be playing it at Aldershot, doesn't you? it? Doesn't it just and and although it might actually sort of play into Chelsea's hands in terms of travel. I mean, if you're Manchester United coming down, you won't be particularly happy at that. You won't be able to stay overnight, probably. It's not logistically, it's a it's a bit of a nightmare. Um, I, I imagine it's contractual and, and that, that is that is the reason. And it's just one less thing for them to think about, not least because <laughs> the FA are having their own issues at the moment. They've made 82 people redundant this morning. Um, that they've, they've got, this has had a financial impact on them as well, so I suppose having their maintaining that part of their contract and having the semi-finals at Wembley was probably the easiest situation for them to to explore. Well, that game and Manchester City semi with Arsenal will both take place at Wembley. Uh, speaking of Pep's pals, we'll dissect Chelsea's other big wins since last we met. Next, Harry's sponsors straight out of Cobham. As a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash Cobham right now. That's harrys.com slash Cobham. I've been using my Harry's razor during lockdown and I can assure you that it is the smoothest, most comfortable shave that you can find. harrys.com forward slash Cobham. So way back last Thursday, Chelsea picked up a sizeable scalp in their bid to qualify for next season's Champions League when they beat Manchester City 2-1 at Stamford Bridge thanks to a brilliant Christian Pulisic goal and a Willian penalty. We'll keep it relatively brief here, seeing as it's fairly old news now, but certainly a performance worth reflecting on. Uh, How important is the result? Liam, you called it a significant signpost. It certainly felt like that. Well, actually, the Athletics headline writer called it a significant, <laughs> but um, but no, I I agree. Uh, it was a it was a big big result for Chelsea's top four um, hopes, particularly with United starting the restart with a draw at Tottenham. It was an opportunity for Chelsea to maintain the gap and and kind of demoralise the teams that are chasing them a little bit because that City game. I think everyone chasing Chelsea was looking at that City game as one where they'll surely drop points, and. Um, and and Chelsea did really well. I think in the end they were deserving winners. It it really shocked me, even having watched the game, it really shocked me looking back on the stats and realising that Chelsea had had 10 shots on target to City's one. You know, they really did, while they had less of the ball, they were much, much more threatening whenever they went forward. They attacked with speed, with numbers. Pulisic was obviously absolutely key to that, but I thought Barkley had good moments. Mason Mount worked really hard. Um, obviously, Willian, I think, has given City a lot of trouble in the past and he was good again. Giroud had some excellent link-up moments. The plan really came together. And I think it was probably the the best team that Lampard has beaten 
since he since he arrived at Chelsea. Even if you include, you know, results like Ajax away, I think it, it really is that good. And City were a little bit sloppy, of course. They gave Chelsea some big mistakes for the for the goals, but Chelsea also forced those errors. And and I think they, um, on the whole, they deserve to win it and, and a big big win. Simon, where does this uh, rank for you in, in terms of best performances of this season? I, I think given the, the quality of opposition, it probably has to go down as the best. I, I, I feel a bit sorry, felt a bit sorry for them actually, um, and Frank Lampard, because it kind of got buried um, because of what the result meant for Liverpool. Um, so much so that, that Frank Lampard's sort of interview um, on a certain uh, cable channel um, didn't take place or wasn't shown for over an hour because <laughs> it was all buried around Liverpool interviews. Um but you know, it was a significant performance. I thought it was also a significant performance for some individuals. And and, and on Twitter, I, I I gave a shout out to Andreas Christensen, who let's let's be honest, since that Barcelona game a couple of years ago, um, has perhaps split the fan base a little bit. There's certainly been games where there have been question marks about him. But I thought he was absolutely magnificent. Arguably, his best performance um, in a Chelsea shirt. Not only was he very good sort of winning the ball but his passing just exactly what Chelsea will want from him going forward that's the standard he's set himself now and he, it's just about sustaining it but I also thought it was very key we talked about Kante just a minute ago I thought it was hugely important for him to be in front of the back four there were times where Chelsea did give it away and if Jorginho had been there like he was in the in the away game, he wouldn't have got back to make those kind of cynical fouls that Kante pulled off with such a plomb. Although one of them did lead to <laughs> did lead to Kevin De Bruyne hitting an absolute <laughs> perler into the top corner. <laughs> but um there wasn't much that Kepper or Kante could have done about that. But no, I, I do think it was a, a significant win that would have really deflated, as Liam says, that the teams around them. Dom Frank Lampard's now overseen wins over Guardiola, Klopp and Mourinho twice this season. Yes, he's he's also lost at home to West Ham and Bournemouth, but but has he developed as a coach quicker than we expected? I, I, he probably hasn't developed as quicker than, say, Marina Granovskaya and the Chelsea hierarchy would have hoped, because that's that was they obviously saw the the huge potential that he has as a coach when when they turned to him after only a year in management um, last summer, uh, I think it's reinforced the fact that he this feels like the right fit um, for the, the, the place Chelsea are in. Um, it shows that he can get the best out of this blend of, of players in big moments. I'm, I'm not going to say that Frank Lampard can out think a Pep Guardiola yet I don't think Frank Lampard would, would would say that he could do that and likewise with a Jurgen Klopp that we saw in that in the cup game in back in the first week in March but but I think it's uh, and when it comes to Mourinho I think that you can have your own argument as to whether Mourinho is is quite the same head coach now that he was maybe five ten years ago as well um, but, but I think it shows that Lampard clearly has something something that really really positive that 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 Chelsea can it can use and can help thrust Chelsea back far closer to to City and Liverpool in in, in future title races. Um, and he's and as we've seen, he's also got a he's also got a pull. He's got he, he can bring people like Timo Werner. He can convince them that they should be part of Chelsea's future and part of the future of this this team under 
under his management i think that they're, they're all positives and yeah there's a lot going right he's he's developing all the time he's improving all the time his in-game management as simon mentioned earlier is 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 better and better um i suppose the counter argument to that is he should be picking the right team from the start in some games um but i think there are certain circumstances um at the moment with the youth and and where we are in terms of post lockdown etc that that make that exceptional circumstances in many cases so i think there's a lot going for him and 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 his progress is is really really encouraging well, as is the style of the time, there's not long to wait for Lampard and Chelsea's next league assignment. They visit the London Stadium to face West Ham on Wednesday night. We'll look ahead to that game and Watford next. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. So the Blues' penultimate London derby of the season comes against Frank Lampard's former club this week as Chelsea take on relegation strugglers West Ham United on Wednesday. Question here from Ollie Glanville, who asked for lineup predictions for West Ham. Uh, Liam, do you think there'll be another six changes again? I, I think it's it's probably safe to assume that the likes of Kovacic and Azpilicueta will be, will be favourites to start. Yeah, I think so. I think Sunday to Wednesday will also encourage Lampard to make a few more changes and I think in a lot of positions he hasn't got someone staking you know an overwhelming claim to start so there, there are two viable options in in most spots I mean just looking at the way Giroud has played since the restart it, it would maybe be slightly cruel to drop him for Abraham at this point even if you think Abraham can can maybe give you more in certain games uh, that game will be interesting also for the for the West Ham side of things. I mean, I saw David Moyes at Stamford Bridge scouting Chelsea at the City game. Um, and the the journalists I know who watch West Ham a lot say that they haven't turned up yet for the restart. They're one of these teams that still seem to be asleep. Chelsea generally seem to wake them up. <laughs> if you look at the last few seasons, um, they, they've had a couple of good results against Chelsea, particularly at the London Stadium. But they won't have their fans roaring them on this time. So I, I think that's a that's another interesting variable to this fixture. And that more broadly, I think when you look at the next four or five games, they're all against teams that Chelsea have typically struggled to break down this season under Lampard. So in some ways it's a it's a defining stretch. Simon, so, mean, in terms of the lineup, one thing that's going to be interesting, and we've spoken about the centre back issue with um, with Christensen and his form. Thought Zuma did okay on Sunday. What about a left back? Because I'd kind of written Emerson off as a Chelsea player, and yet there he was against Leicester, performing as well as anybody. I thought that's interesting because I didn't think he did that well. But <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's because I was distracted uh, by an article I was working on. No, I think um, I think Marcus Alonso is now sort of first choice I think it was Emerson was largely brought in just to give Alonso a bit of a rest Alonso started the first two league games I think he's he certainly um looked pretty pretty reasonable by his standards um and perhaps Chelsea will also need his um 
attacking threat against what is bound to be quite a stubborn, resilient West Ham, whereas Emerson doesn't pose the same threat in the opposition box as Alonso can. Um, but it does seem to be a, a straight fight, possibly, between those two in terms of who's going to stay at Chelsea. Now, we saw Ben Chilwell play against Chelsea in the FA Cup, and you could sort of see the difference between what kind of attacking threat he'd pose as opposed to perhaps what Emerson can, who, yeah, he got forward, but without quite the same uh, end product, not that Ben Chilwell got on the score sheet, of course. So, yeah, that that's another issue, but um, I, I think uh, what will also be key is Christian Pulisic's fitness, because if, if you were to name the best player uh, since the restart, um, Pulisic if he's not at the top, he's certainly going to be near the top. Um, now, he picked up a slight calf knock. Um, and as as we saw, he had ice attached to it when he came off against Leicester. So Frank, Frank will have to make a decision there. Does he risk playing against West Ham when, let's be honest, he will be needed? Um, but does he want to make it worse and, and, and perhaps save him for a couple of days to play against Watford instead? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, Dom, West Ham haven't kept a clean sheet in the league since New Year's Day. They haven't scored since the restart. Liam's mentioned that, that Chelsea have a great record at the London Stadium. And of course, West Ham have already beaten the Blues once this season. C- can you see any way here that, that they can they can upset Chelsea? Because they look like a team hurtling towards the championship at the moment. I'm conscious that earlier this season, I think possibly ahead of the home game against West Ham, I, I pretty much wrote off West Ham's chances and said that Chelsea would win handsomely. <laughs> um, I do think it's a slightly different animal now, uh, both both these clubs actually. And I think there is, really isn't an excuse not to win this game for Chelsea, if, if I'm perfectly honest. I mean, West Ham have won once in the league since New Year's Day. They're... As you say, their their trajectory is down at the moment. Um, they they don't have the resources that they can they can call off the bench in the same way that that uh, that Chelsea have. Um, they can't, you know, juggle their their options in the same way that Chelsea can. Yes, they've had more rest ahead of this game, which is an issue. They haven't played since uh, last Tuesday uh, when they lost to Tottenham. Um, but they will have one eye on a. A game at Newcastle four days after the after the, the Chelsea fixture. Uh, they will look at the run of games they have subsequently. I think after Newcastle, they've got Burnley, they've got Norwich, they've got Watford, and they've got Villa on the last day of the season. Those are the games that will keep West Ham in the division. And I suspect that you'll see that, <laughs> they, they, that David Moyes may reflect that reality in his selection and his, in his tactics against Chelsea. If Chelsea break through early, they really they should win comfortably. They really should win comfortably because West Ham are there for the taking. Well, after West Ham, it's Watford at the bridge on Saturday night. Another struggling team, but another with plenty to play for. Uh, problems for Nigel Pearson's mob on and off the field. As you know, if you've read Adam Leventhal's latest piece on the Hornets for The Athletic, um, something which, which Dom's mentioned in terms of West Ham there, Simon. Watford have got a free week building up to this game. How significant might that be? Uh, significant to a degree, yes, it will help with them with their energy levels, but in terms of morale, confidence, etc., that, that's not going to improve it. Um, they they do, they do look a bit lost at the moment. Southampton absolutely um, destroyed them at, at Vicarage Road. Um, the worry is, and it's kind of already been been mentioned by the guys that that 
these are the kind of teams that that Chelsea struggle have struggled against. You know, the, the teams that you'd expect them to beat, they they've laboured against. Even against Villa, you sort of think back to the Aston Villa game where where Chelsea had seventy four, seventy five percent possession. It, they made hard work of beating them. So Isn't there an argument, it, it, sorry, 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 Isn't there an argument that that when you've got those resources to throw on against teams that aren't fully up to scratch, they're not fully fit, they're not fully in rhythm, then you should prevail. I mean, look at the 13 games the bottom five have played since the resumption. They've got three points out of them, three draws so far. There is no excuse, really, for the elite teams not to, to wallop these guys at the moment. I just think when, when teams play with everyone behind the ball, um, as, as teams te- these teams at the bottom tend to do, um, you can be the best team in the world, and and it sometimes it it can it can be difficult to find that space. Um, do Chelsea have an Eden Hazard type figure who who would make the difference in these kind of games? Um, Pulisic has shown some nice touches, but is there that man that that can really um, slide them through quite easily? Chelsea do sometimes get guilty of just passing it for passing sake. Yes, of course you're right, Dom. Look, Chelsea should beat these teams. That there, there is an excuse, but I'm just making a case that until they get that first goal, it it can get a bit laboured, just as it was at Villa Park. What do you think, Liam? This will be a good uh, barometer, won't it, for how far Chelsea have come since lockdown, given that they've lost these kind of games at Stamford Bridge this season, West Ham, Bournemouth, and Southampton, as we've mentioned. Yeah, I think so. And I think Simon mentioned Pulisic and how important his fitness will be. I think it's really important tactically because in those run of games in the autumn where he really took off and announced himself as a Chelsea player, he established himself as the secondary goal threat to whoever was playing as the number nine. And and at that time, it was very much Abraham um, because he he is a lot better than Chelsea's other wingers, bar perhaps Pedro at making those well-timed runs into the box with or without the ball from wide areas and and helping Chelsea to overload the box. Because I think what we've seen in a lot of those home games against the likes of Southampton, West Ham, Bournemouth earlier this season was that they would be funnelled wide, put a barrage of crosses in, and they would only have Abraham or Giroud in the box. There would be no one around them. They would be easily crowded out and much of the 90 minutes would play out that way. So having someone like Pulisic, having the ability to maybe play a slightly more offensively minded midfield three, you know, with players like Mount and Barkley who want to get in the box and Loftus-Cheek as well, um, you've got the ability to ask more questions of those teams than perhaps they, they had a, earlier in the season. So with that potential, as Dom says, I, think, I don't think there really is an excuse for Chelsea to fall short again. Well, we will, of course, reflect on the games against the two Ws, which will hopefully produce two Ws in uh, next week's show. We're just about done for this week, though. Before we go, Liam, what can Athletic subscribers read from you on the site and what can they look forward to this week? So I'm, I'm putting together a piece on Frank Lampard's use of substitutes and whether that tells us anything about how he is as a coach, whether he's taken anything from a certain Jose Mourinho um, and how often he can consistently impact games from the bench. And later this week, uh, I think we're we're going to be trying to look at a broader feature, which won't be Chelsea focused, but um, on how it feels to be to be hooked by a manager. Again, substitute themed, but much broader than Lampard or Chelsea. Yeah, shout out to Nemanja Matic in that time when he got subbed on and subbed off again against, was it Southampton? Very, very sad. Um, Simon, you've 
and Liam together have been writing about how Pedro conquered football at Barcelona, but completed it at Chelsea. I enjoyed that very much. What else is on uh, on your agenda this week? Well, it should be up by the time um, this podcast goes out. A few of us have all got together to write about a man that there's very very uh, little known about, despite having a very prominent role at the club. This is uh, the chief executive, Guy Lawrence, who, um, let's just say the... the 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 thing that made me laugh most of all when I when I sort of started making calls about him was finding out that he once beat Bruce Willis in an arm wrestle, um, <laughs> which which uh, made me think of uh, John McClane of Die Hard fame somehow losing to someone in a sort of more in a corporate world it doesn't quite work um, but apparently it happened so um, yeah I'm just explaining his role really because let let's be honest. There have been very prominent chief execs that worked for Chelsea in the past. Um, particular shout out to Peter Kenyon, who, let's be honest, everyone could identify him and, and certainly by some of the cringy things he used to say. But I would suggest that the majority of the Chelsea fan base, Guy Lawrence could walk past them and they wouldn't know who he was. Um, so anyway, have a read of it. This guy is very, very influential, has a very important job on his hands because he has to make... Uh, money um, through commercial and marketing etc which is just as important as of course player sales because Chelsea do not have the size of stadium to compete with their their close rivals cool looking forward to that how about you Dom you'll presumably be writing about 11 footballers rather than the star of 12 monkeys (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to write about Claude McAuley who apparently once beat Dolph Lundgren at Tiddlywinks but other than that um, I've got pieces on I'm working on on, uh, with various Newcastle Charlton Luton and Swansea connections Um, so a a bit of a diverse week by the look of things and we'll see how many of them actually come to fruition by the end of the week Good. Looking forward to that. Remember, if you want to read these pieces and you're not an Athletic subscriber, you can enjoy a 30-day free trial to see what all the fuss is about. It's the best football writing and ad-free podcast right up until the end of the Premier League season. Just visit theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. That's theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. My thanks to Liam, to Simon and to Dom and to you, listener. We'll catch up with you again. Same time, same place next week.